All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Fries, Fries Day, Friday, July 22nd of 2022. Thanks for tuning into the stream here today. I am hyped up to be on stream here today. Uh, baseball's back. It's Friday. Uh, I'm going to have a bunch of five of six golf lineups going into the weekend. So it's a great day to be on here for DFS Office Hours. If it's your first time tuning in, uh, welcome. My name is Jordan. And Office Hours is an open Q&A style show where I answer questions from the SaberSim community about how to use SaberSim to build better DFS lineups. So the questions that come in on this show and before the show drive the conversation that we have here. If you have questions for me, fire away in YouTube chat if you're watching me live. Uh, you can also ask your questions in the Office Hours channel in Slack, uh, for which there is a link to join the Slack community in the description of every past show. And of course, uh, if you catch the recording of this and would like to ask a question, you weren't watching live, you're not already in Slack, uh, but you've got a burning question that you've been dying to ask me, you can email us as well, support at sabersim.com. We have a few questions in our queue here for today. Uh, one I saw about baseball showdowns, uh, one about um, the randomness or lack thereof of randomness uh, in Sabersim, which we'll get into here in a minute. Uh, another one about the baseball sims. Um, there's a long video on our YouTube channel about the baseball sims, uh, how they work, uh, what a sim is, but we'll talk a little bit, at least briefly about that. I saw a contest selection question come in right before I went live, so uh, we will get to everything here shortly. Um, before we do, though, um, one quick note is uh, a new Behind the Sims episode just came out earlier this morning. Uh, so on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts, um, there is a new, actually, real quick, let me fix this here because this isn't right. Um, let's get this. Let's get this right here real quick. Um, Let's see, one sec. Ah, okay, I'll fix it after. Um, let me pull this back up. Um, the new Behind the Sims is um, is up. I just need to reorder it in the playlist, but you can find the video on our uh, on, on the YouTube page. It'll be all the way at the end right now. I'll fix this later. Um, I just have to move it over and couldn't remember how to do it here. Um, but we started talking about some of the initial findings of our slider backtesting uh, project, which I think um, many of you will probably find very interesting. Uh, some of the general trends we're seeing, also along with some of the um, biases and data problems that we're seeing a little bit here that we, we need to overcome here before we have like a final product. Uh, but there are some kind of initial findings of what we've been seeing in our backtesting research uh, for the sliders, which I know always popular questions. Uh, people are always very interested to hear more about the sliders. So uh, definitely check that series out. Of course, uh, this is just episode four, or this is episode four, rather, I should say. There are three episodes uh, before this that kind of walk through the project uh, as it as we've gotten to this point. So um, definitely a lot of interesting, interesting stuff there. But let's go ahead and start answering some questions here. Uh, we'll go ahead. Let's get started with, uh, with uh, Tim's question here. There's a couple questions, but uh, let's take a look. So um, said, uh, hey, Jordan, another question. Uh, when running Saberson for 20 max in MLB, it sounds like so this was yesterday. Using standard settings, is there a random percent used? Uh, I asked because I played the FanDuel three-game slate. Uh, ran Saberson a couple times around uh, noon. 
was getting 90% low pass and then made zero adjustments and ran it again at 1245 and got 100% scoop ball with no adjustments. Stayed with that, thankfully, uh, which is good. Uh, anyway, if there isn't random percent, then what changed that flipped it so strongly? Thanks always for your help. So, okay, there's kind of two questions here. So I want to break this out into parts. So first, um, SaberSim does use a different alternative, a much better ver- uh, option for like for randomness, right? Uh, randomness basically is a traditional optimizer's attempt at trying to come up with a real range of outcomes for a player, right? Like on most other tools out there, they'll give you an average projection. So maybe for, you know, for, for Corbin Burns, right? Average projection is 24.59, but everybody knows that's not what he's going to score all the time. There's an actual range of outcomes associated with that number, right? So traditional optimizers to solve that problem of saying, okay, well, we have this average projection. We know that he's not going to score it every time. How do we come up with actually what a real range is? You get randomness, right? And right where randomness does is it assumes every player's range of outcomes is a perfect bell curve, right? And the higher that randomness goes, the wider that bell curve gets, right? Well, the problem with that, the reason why that kind of sucks most of the time is that most Sports and most players don't have anything that resembles a bell curve as their actual range of outcomes, right? This is Brandon Lau's range of outcomes for tonight's slate. This is reminiscent of what uh, hitters typically look like in baseball. If we look at pitchers, we'll see something that resembles a little bit more of kind of a bell curve. Uh, This is actually, just by pure chance really here, actually a pretty decent looking bell curve. Um, But... Uh, it's not a precise science and there's variants of different pitchers, right? Different pitchers are going to have uh, different curves here and things like that, right? So what SaberSim does here is we have game simulations, right? Instead of saying we're going to try to guess what a player's range of outcomes based on their mean is, we actually just create every outcome, right? We, we chart the full range of outcomes across all of our sims. And then when you build your lineups, instead of randomizing based on the mean projection, we actually just pull from those individual game outcomes, right? Those, those individual sims. So uh, if you open up your build settings, right? And then turn manual mode on, you'll see the actual sliders that are being used to, to build your lineups and sim precision uh, is basically what I am describing here. So the higher this goes, the fewer number of simulations we use to build each lineup. So at a, at a default for tonight's 13 game slate, 20 max, 10 to 50 K entrance, every lineup is going to be used using an average of 28 randomly selected simulations in the build, right? So every player's instead of it randomizing the average projection, it's basically going to randomly select 28 game simulations of a set of thousands of simulations of each game and use the projections of what players scored in that particular set for each lineup, right? Uh, On a three-game slate, like you were describing here, Tim, this was probably a lot higher by default, right? Might have been using something like six simulations per lineup. Um, But that is basically how that works. And the the reason why it is so much more, um, I mean, there are many reasons why, but I think the, the the primary reason why sim precision is such a better alternative to randomness is because randomness doesn't actually do does actually i have to say there's two reasons randomness like i mentioned doesn't actually do a good job of understanding the true range of outcomes of a player but they're also not real game outcomes so for example because every player gets ind- individually randomized uh it's not picking up on the fact that you know with, with sims if you pull a so if corbin burns uh average projection is a is 24.59 and your set of 28 sims he ends up at 16.8 or something like that right um so that, that's like his 20th approximately his 20th percentile right that would imply that the rockies probably also do better in that set of sims because that's the that's basically the failure condition for corbin burns right is that the rockies succeed right I, randomness doesn't account for any of that 
So the kind of two benefits really, um, again, among others uh, of using simulations instead of traditional randomness is that uh, you get the real ranges of outcomes or you get something that better approximates real ranges of outcomes and you get correlated performance in your, your lineups naturally because they are based on actual game sims. They, you can't have Corbin Burns scoring 15 points or 10 points or something like that in a sim without some level of success for the Rockies. So anyway, that that's kind of the first part of this question. But I think the second part of this question, the more practical level, why did I build lineups at noon and get so much Pablo Lopez uh, and then um, after get so much Scooball? Well, I think the probably the most likely culprit in that particular case is that something about the slate overall changed to adjust projections. Um, someone responded in Slack. Uh, Average Tuesday responded in Slack and mentioned that the Oakland lineup came out during that time period. Uh, that would probably be the most likely culprit in terms of why the projections might have changed. I think Oakland's lineup was, uh, Oakland already was a pretty low team total yesterday. Scooball was already going to be a pretty popular pitcher. And I, if I remember correctly, Oakland's lineup was pretty weak, right? It was kind of worse than expected. Uh, Slates, DFS slates are pretty complicated systems, right? We have salaries, we have projections, we have ownership. Um, there's a lot of different ways to build lineups. It doesn't actually really take that much, right? There are there are a lot of times um, pretty fragile numbers in a DFS slate where, you know, a couple points up or down for a player, especially on a three-game slate, can really dramatically change the way uh, that a um, that the builder finds is the optimal way to play the slate. Um, but, you know, in general... Um, you know, some of those Sims that run, you know, the hour before lock, uh, can be final confirmed starting lineups. Um, they can be sometimes weather, um, uh, roof, the, getting confirmation about the roof being open or closed is, is definitely one that can kind of be a late change. Um, or they can be other smaller things like, like umpires uh, and things like that. And again, small changes can have sometimes big ripple effects about the, the optimal strategy for a slate. Uh, but the one other thing I should note here, and just like to be totally clear, I don't think this is necessarily enough to account for a massive change in strategy. In other words, I don't think you would get like a hundred percent Lopez, then a hundred percent Scooball purely because of this. But because of the way Sim Precision works, you are going to get variance every single time you run a build. Like if we just sat here and ran 20 max 10 to 50K build after 20 max 10 to 50K build over and over and over and over, we are going to get subtle differences and, and variance in the actual lineups that come out every single time because of the way that simulations are selected when we build the lineups. And that's by and large a good thing, right? Uh, the, the game of DFS, right? Like predicting sports performance, there is a lot of natural variance in that anyway, especially in a sport like baseball. Um, and it's, you know, almost sim precision almost, uh, has, um, sim precision almost like gives some humility to a lineup optimizer, right? Like one thing that's always very strange is if you build with the traditional optimizer with no randomness that you like, it is strange that by default you would get the same lineups over and over again, right? That implies that those lineups are like, far and away the best possible lineups you could play on a slate. And we know that that's not true, right? In reality, there are probably thousands of lineups that you could build, especially for a 13 game slate like tonight, maybe tens of thousands, maybe more that are all profitable and all probably actually very similarly profitable uh, or very similar in the pot, in, close, close in expected value. And by allowing that natural variance into your lineups so that when you build lineups once, you get a set of lineups and you build lineups again, you get a different set of lineups. That's that's a good thing, right? That's That should check out with our intuition uh, about how widely 
variant the game is. So um, anyway, let's keep it going. Uh, hopefully that kind of helped here um, provide a little bit more context. I did want to just touch um, on this question here real quickly um, to answer a few specific points about this and direct people in the direction where they can get some more information. So Tim had also asked, uh, when the games are simulated, what's being used during the simulation? Is it how the umpires calls balls and strikes? Uh, is it if the pitcher throws a lot of sliders and a particular batter crushes sliders, things of that nature? Thanks again. Yeah. So first of all, um, I directed Tim and I'll direct everybody watching here as well to this video on our YouTube channel, how the best MOB DFS simulator works. At the start of pretty much every major sports season, uh, or when we come out with a new model or sim for a new sport, um, I almost always have a couple of the guys from the models team come on and talk about the simulations uh, and how they work, how they're built, strengths, weaknesses, um, all of that kind of stuff. So this is that video for baseball for this season. So it's 90 minutes long. I think at, at the very least, the first half hour of this video is really, really um, informative for getting a kind of a baseline understanding of the sim. Um, so I'd go check that out if you're interested. But to answer just a couple of the specific questions that are mentioned here. So uh, you're kind of on the right track. Um, one, this is kind of just nuance. This isn't this doesn't have a huge practical impact, but uh, our, our baseball sims are not pitch by pitch. Um, so in other words, we're not basically, we're not simulating uh, like or projecting what pitch is going to be thrown. And then if that pitch is a ball or a strike, we're, we're doing it one level further out, which is just basically an at bat. So we'll basically, you know, the batter comes up to the plate. We have an understanding of who the batter is, like what the, the overall quality of that batter, who the pitcher is, the game context, right? Is this the leadoff batter in the top of the first inning, or are there two batters on uh, with two outs uh, in the bottom of the six or something like that, right? A like game context matters. We're taking into account all the other factors that are important. The umpire, um, the park factors, right? Like the, the um, how I give in park plays, the, the weather, uh, and all of that kind of comes together to come up with a, basically a set of probabilities of what can happen in that at bat, right? Strikeout, walk, um, single, double, triple, home run, uh, or, you know, a variety, depending on who's on base, a variety of different outs as well, like sacrifice fly outs and things like that, or, or just ground outs or whatever. Um, we assess all those different probabilities, right? And then in the sim, one of those things happens, right? So like maybe given all of the situations, the batter has a 13% chance to strike out and he does. So then we move on to the next batter, right? But it's basically kind of doing this process, you know, the tens of thousands of times for each game on the slate ultimately allows you to arrive at the range of outcomes of that game. So that's kind of how it works. So, um, but again, the video on our YouTube channel will go into far more detail there. Uh, and this is, this is a common video that we do at the start of every season. Uh, so the next one we'll probably do this for will be for football for the start of NFL, which is really, really coming up quick. Um, I'm so excited. So uh, we'll probably have an NFL, how how our NFL Sims work uh, stream, live stream during this time slot. I would say, you know, probably within the last week or so of August or the first week of September, right before the the, the season starts. Uh, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, and I, I think if you use SaberSim and you play DFS, you, you should be, you should naturally be interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, come join the live stream and ask questions. So um, anyway, but uh, let's keep it going here for now. Uh, and okay, so uh, Jeremy has a couple questions about baseball showdown here. So let's, let's uh, jump into this here. Um, Okay, 
uh, said, Jordan, can you speak to uh, baseball showdown when you run Sims? What do you look for in exposures? And when do you decide to tweak those exposures? For example, too much exposure to a pitcher or a stack. When do you decide to even it out? Uh, also, is there certain settings that we should use other than the default? I've heard you mention a couple times that you do 0010 versus the default. So wanted to know what is better uh, for more long-term success. Yeah. So good question. So let's start with the sliders um, and let's pick uh, the Giants Dodgers showdown here for tonight. The night slate showdown typically has some, I would say, decent contests um, uh, of the showdowns here. So um, we'll pick this one here. So let's start with the settings, first of all. So first of all, there's really not going to be a big difference here between the settings, right? Um, I have mentioned before that I like to use 0010 when I'm building my showdown lineups because I like to know that each lineup is an individual I like to know that it's just a pure optimal from a single simulation, right? That's that's what happens essentially here. When correlation is on, we'll take the projections that a player scored in a given single simulation, uh, but then kind of adjust them as we're building each individual lineup to help introduce a little bit of correlation there. And the reason why we do that is just with how many players are in the player pool for baseball, how many individual lineup combinations are possible, uh, you know, what we have found is that increasing, even leaving the correlation slider up a little bit can just help you build lineups with a little bit higher upside. Put another way, from what we have found, it actually doesn't take literally the stone optimal to win baseball showdowns as often. So you can use correlation to just help get a little bit more upside. Now, just with that said, I, I, I can articulate that argument. That argument makes sense to me, but I like to just know and maybe this is maybe this is even silly, but I like to just know uh, that my lineups are are pure single sim optimals. With all of that said, is is not going to be a big material difference between the lineups that you're getting here. It's not as if one is good, one is bad. If you ask me to say, hey, which one would you actually like trust, right? Um, you know, this one's back tested and what I've been doing isn't. Um, so maybe that's a, a, a good argument for that. But either way, again, your lineups are going to be about the same here. So uh, when it comes to actually having these lineups, what am I doing with my exposures? What are kind of things that I am looking at here? Uh, there's a couple things. So first of all, in baseball showdowns and just showdowns in general, I'm not as concerned with diversifying, right? It's already a very high high variance format, right? If you're, if you're not going to be able to stomach losing all of your entry fees on a baseball showdown on a given night, uh, somewhat often, then don't play that contest type, right? Like part of the reason I want to diversify here in, in like classic slates is to kind of smooth out variants, widen the range of outcomes, um, in a, in, again, in a high variance contest type, like baseball showdown, I think you have to embrace that and understand that that's going to happen. And I'm not as concerned about managing risk with my exposures. What I'm more concerned about with is exploiting the field right? In a nutshell, what we are trying to do in baseball showdown or any showdown really for any sport, we are trying to do, trying to do two things. Basically, we're trying to figure out um, what are the game scripts of the way that the game could play out and what are the optimal lineups that are represented by those game scripts, right? And SaberSim automates that basically. That's, that's the beauty of SaberSim because we have these game simulations, right? That is the range of outcomes of game scripts, right? Uh, and it's very easy. It's trivial at that point to build an optimal lineup that is that is the optimal for that individual game script, right? So you get 500 of these right off the bat and then sort the best 20 based on that. What are the highest scoring lineups and what are the lineups that are most likely to be optimal, right? So the best value add here, right? From what I, in my experience, the best way to add value to this is to select a set of lineups that exploit an angle that will be underappreciated by the field. Right. And what I have found in my experience playing these showdowns is that the field 
believes that the range of outcomes of what could actually happen in a game is far, far more narrow than what is actually possible, right? And you will see people stick way too closely to uh, the outcomes that maybe uh, are a little bit more likely to happen on average um, rather than actually thinking about the, the full range, right? So what I will typically look at, right, is I will kind of get a sense of, I'll look at the the game total and the spread uh, and just overall kind of the average projections and think like, what, what are people likely to do? So if we just look at this game, right, we can just kind of study this game for a minute here. So uh, there is what, about an eight, eight run total-ish, right? Not a particularly high scoring. Actually, let's look at Vegas instead. Um, so I'll use the fantasy labs here, uh, Vegas dashboard, and let's look at what, how Vegas is projecting this game instead. Okay, so very similar. So 3.7, 4.4. So that's fine. We can just kind of say this, right? So probably not a game that's projected to be um, a very high scoring game, right? The pitchers on average project quite a bit better than any given hitter. So I think pitchers are probably going to be pretty popular here. Uh, and I think, you know, half run ish, I think people are, are probably going to imagine this game being somewhat close or being in the Dodgers favor, right? Those are the outcomes that I think the average person is going to be like, oh yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. That's how I'm going to build my lineup. So when I'm looking at exposures, I will look at ways to just exploit that, right? Because again, I know that the range of outcomes of this game is far wider than people will give it credit. So how can we exploit this? Well, one thing I might do right off the bat is I might, I, I guess I should say this first, the ways I typically like to exploit this is in the captain position, right? And in the lineup construction, I'm not generally too concerned about like what my individual utility players look like in any given lineup. But I like to look, I think the leverage is, is the, or I think the captain is the highest leverage position spot in the lineup. So I always like to pay attention to that. And I look at the lineup construction as a whole. So uh, a captain, one thing I might just do is I might just eliminate Logan Webb and Tyler Anderson, right? As captains, right? I'm not getting a ton of them anyway, but why not play an angle here? that the field is likely to underappreciate, right? I think the pitchers are likely to be a little bit overpopular at captain. What are a couple other things I can do? Well, I mentioned, I think people are going to overfavor the Dodgers a little bit here, right? We're already actually getting a lot of Giants stacks, but I might eliminate lineups that have four or five Dodgers just because, again, I think just purely based on how average projections are likely to look in the Vegas totals alone, let me play an angle where we're overweight Giants, right? Uh, then let's go back here again. Maybe one other thing I might do is look at the captain here. Let's play, let's play giants captains, right? Let's play a giant at captain. So we'll, we'll X out a couple of these Dodgers here. And depending on the slate, that might be enough, right? I already think that, you know, again, all I'm doing is I'm taking a pool of 500 lineups that are built from individual single game optimals, right? All of these lineups are good. We know they are good because they are built from a single sim optimal right? Which is essentially exactly what we're trying to do here. And I'm just adding a little bit of value in the way that I select for these lineups by choosing what do I think the field, what do I think is the field unlikely to appreciate, right? Um, and that might be enough and I might be happy with it there. In in other situations, I, you know, I, I there's a variety of different ways to go here. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I'm trying to think of another example. There might be a situation maybe where, um, Let's see. Let me look at like let's pull, pick a different slate. Let's see. You know, sometimes I was looking to see if we have like a, a game that this is actually a pretty good example. This is almost certainly to be a good example, right? So this is a a two run spread, right, with an elite ace pitcher, right? So like, what might I do here? Um, 
you know, let's experiment with this one, right? Because I think this actually might be a little bit more fun. And one thing that's kind of nice about this is you can kind of use the, the pool of lineups to check your assumptions, right? So let's let's play with this one a little bit here. So let's look at this, right? So I think the clear thing, right? What is the field? What what is the field going to do? Overwhelmingly, what is going to be overwhelmingly popular for this particular showdown? It's going to be Corbin Burns captain. You might look at this and be like, Jordan, it's the, the Rockies have a three run total. Corbin Burns has been playing great lately. His strikeout prop is eight and a half. How can he fail? Right? Well, how how can he fail? Like, let's let's check. Right? Can we eliminate Corbin Burns as captain from our lineups? Absolutely. This is what I mean by the field overrates the most popular outcome all the time. Right? There are plenty of outcomes here where Corbin Burns is not the optimal captain. Now, do we need to go all the way to fading him completely? Right? Maybe not. Maybe you can try it if you want to get aggressive, but I don't even know if we really need to do that. But does he does he need to be the optimal captain? Probably not. Right. Uh, and you can kind of test this. You can kind of stress test this and see, like, can I play what can I play Rockies? Can I play lineups with a couple Rockies bats in there? Right. How flexible is this pool? Right. What if I want to what if I want to be at least balanced or overweight Rockies? Right. Can I do that? Well, our 20 lineups now are reach out to lineup 254, right? Um, there's plenty of different ways to to play lineups that are unconventional that may not be exactly what the field is thinking about. So um, the one other thing that I will mention here, since we're talking about baseball showdown, I would be I would be remiss if we didn't talk about it here. Let's go, let's reset this. Um, I think it is always wise to take a look at your relief pitchers and your exposures to relief pitchers. Um, we're actually getting quite a few of them here in this particular build. And you will see relief pitchers show up in your builds with Sabersim, right? Um, one of the things that's nice, one of the things that is nice about simulating games is that you can actually kind of sim the bullpen. Um, so you can see, you know, uh, Carlos Estevez, for example, 40% of the time doesn't even get into the game, right? There's actually a little bit of a percentage of the, of the time he gets into the game and then goes negative, right? Uh, but he does score points in some simulations and in a game type where, you know, you're trying to build an optimal for like a single sim, it makes sense maybe to have a little bit of exposure to relief pitchers. So the one thing that this does not do uh, at the moment, our, our bullpen model does not account for recent pitches, right? So uh, with the all-star break, obviously a lot of these guys are pretty fresh. I would probably leave most of these guys in my pool for now. Um, but um, after we get out of... Um, or once we kind of get back into the flow of things off the all-star break here, one thing I like to do, I use this bullpen usage uh, page on baseballpress.com, and I will just check and see if any pitchers have thrown. Um, and this actually, their page looks a little weird right now. Um, I think, so this will start to look better as games start to populate in here again. Um because it's not it's not pull, it's not pulling up the full bullpens because it's only pulling up any player in the bullpen that pitched in the last five days and most pitchers haven't pitched in the last five days um, because um, you know most pitchers haven't pitched in the last five days so um, but that's something I typically like to look at here is uh, if I if there's anybody that pitched the day before I'll just x them out here but that's kind of how I think about it um, and then also one other thing if you are interested here um, let's see MLB showdown. Yeah, 
Cool. Okay, so this is a pretty good video too. So we did this a year ago. Chris came on here. Uh, you'll see this is an older version of SaberSim. So if you want a little bit of a SaberSim throwback, uh, we did this a year ago here. Um, but Chris also, SaberSim Chris, uh, you know, has played quite a few baseball showdowns here. We had a, a chat uh, last year just about overall like showdown strategy. Um, and I think a lot of the lessons we talked about in this video still apply. Um, so if you want to go a little bit deeper, I'd, I'd go watch this. So you can just find it. Search MLB showdown. It's like the first one that, that shows up here. So, um, but good question. Um, and then, okay, one other question here in Slack, and then we'll hop over to YouTube chat. Um, and uh, this is from Mark. And he said, what are your thoughts on the 25 cent contest and winner take all tourneys at the bottom of the list uh, for DK? Um, so a couple things. So first of all, these contests, we didn't really look too closely at these contests when we did our recent contest sims for the DFS profit plan. So I'm going to kind of speak about this here, like a little bit from an intuitive standpoint. Um, and I'll say, I'll say this. Um, so let's see, let's go find a couple. Okay. So I don't like these. Um, these 25 cent contests. The main reason why I don't like these is they're, um, <coughs> excuse me, they're, uh, they, the payout structure is like really kind of weirdly flat, I think, right? Um, like it's, if it's almost, okay, so what, what is it actually? It's, uh, I was going to say it's almost $5 here, but it's 375, right? 375 to, 375 to max this contest out. And it's only ten dollars to first. Like I don't, I don't really get who this contest is for, or like what this is for, right? Like we we want to build. We typically when we build lineups for GPPs, we're shooting for upside because that's where the equity is. Like this, this is this is not enough a reward for playing this contest in a way that is like befits a GPP. It's it's almost like a hybrid of like a multiplier GPP kind of contest where you might play something like kind of cashy. I, I just don't even know what the point of this contest is. So I, I typically recommend skipping these. Um, this like this contest type overall, this contest that's just called contest. Uh, if you're going to play these, you need to be very careful about the payout structures. Um, because what I've noticed is that they vary quite a bit as you go up in stakes. So like if you go up to here. Um, so like, okay, so this $9, right? Like this is this is a different payout structure, right? All of a sudden, it's only paying out. So this is a, a thirty nine. So it's only paying out about a quarter of the field, but this is over ten x to first, right? So like this is this has a very different payout structure. This would be a more playable contest, at least I think in theory, uh, than um, than than the quarter ones. So I'd skip those. Uh, I don't hate the winner take alls, um, at least because in that case. Um, you are incentivized to play a high upside lineup, right? This is like you're you're beat out 237 other lineups here and you you win first, right? Like I think at least in this contest, your GPP lineups that you might be building are are definitely playable here. I think a lot of people will probably um be under leveraged here in this kind of contest, right? Probably not take enough chances. So I don't hate these. I would say the only time I would really invest in them though is if you are probably if you are playing like if you're basically maxed out at all of the other good contests, like you're playing a full contest load within the DFS profit plan of all the contests under $3 anyway, like all of the unexperienced contests, and you just want to get additional action down under $3 in entry fee, then I think you could probably start incorporating these in. They wouldn't be the first contests. 
um, or or the second or third contests uh, I would enter by any means. And if you're listening to this and you're like, what DFS profit plan? What What's going on here? Um, go watch this video on our YouTube channel. Start winning more with our DFS profit plan. Uh, this basically is like our fundamentals of contest selection and bankroll management. So a lot of times when these questions come in, I'll answer these within the kind of within the context of that video. Um, so if you if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, go watch that first. Um, and I think it'll be a little bit more clear. So, but, okay, let's jump over to YouTube chat here uh, and get caught up. Uh, Patrick said, how, ma- uh, how many confirmed lineups do you wait until you start your building process? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, as many as possible. Um, so my, it, it depends a lot on how long your process takes, right? So I would recommend for most people to wait. I, I typically recommend wait as long as possible for cons- for confirmed starting lineups, but especially if you are new to SaberSim, don't wait any longer than 20 to 30 minutes before lock to start building, right? Like you should probably even 30 minutes is a safer bet, right? So wait for as many starting lineups, but start building 30 minutes before lock, especially if you're new to SaberSim and make sure you get lineups that are in, in time, right? You can always come back and rebuild later if you need to, if you get more lineups or something like that and you have time to do it. Um, but that, that's probably the best practice. Once you're more familiar with the tools, I think you should time yourself and get familiar with how long it takes for you to build for a given site, right? How long does it take for you to do your whole process? Um, the fastest I can do a process, a baseball process that builds lineups that I'm happy with for me is 10 minutes, right? I need I need at least 10 minutes to do what I'm trying to do, right? And that's the minimum. So I will, it kind of depends on the situation, right? Like, Let's say I'm building tonight and I start a half hour before lock and I have lineups that are pretty good and I have a ton of giant stacks, right? Well, if I get a giant stack 15 minutes before a giant line at 15 minutes before lock and I already knew I had a ton of giants, it might make sense for me to like build, to rebuild and use the 10 minute shorter version of that to get that correct lineup in there. So I don't have to like late swap a ton of lineups after lock, but maybe, uh, we get a Texas Rangers lineup right before lock and I didn't have a lot of Rangers to begin with. And I could probably just quick swap and be fine and use kind of the, the longer version of my process. So short answer here is I wait, I basically wait until I have as many starting lineups as possible. Um, I always, always do a build 20 to 30 minutes before lock and just get those lineups in. And then kind of depending on my exposures and how valuable those late starting lineups are to me and things like that, I might run another one but I never really, I never really will start another final build less than ten minutes before lock because I know based on my process what it takes me to do the things that I want to do. I need at least ten minutes, so that's kind of how I think about it. Um, but in basketball, it's kind of a different story, right? Like, I, I mean, my basketball process, like a lot of times I can get it done in like just a couple minutes because you kind of have to, right? I've always said during basketball season, I always say if your basketball process takes longer than 10 minutes to run from start to finish, it's probably not, it's probably not viable long-term because there will be too many slates throughout the year where you need to react and adjust in 10 minutes or less. Uh, And if you're not, you're, you're leaving money on the table. Um, And I think like speed and mechanics actually are actually a really important part of basketball DFS in a way that in baseball, it really isn't. So that's kind of how I think through that. Um, Neil said, when do you think it's reasonable to start talking NFL DFS? Like how to avoid dupes in NFL showdown. I'm so burnt out with baseball that I decided to just take a break from DFS until NFL. We can start kicking ideas around whenever. Um, I will say a lot of the same. Uh, so I guess, okay. So a couple things. So first of all, um, most of like, like a lot of the old 
Slates are just up in here. If you want to go practice, um, I will say one thing to just kind of like be aware of is like some of it looks a little strange here. Yeah, so there's like some weird things with the old data. Like I don't see team totals, right? That's kind of the big thing that's missing here. Um, so we might look into that. So I don't know how usable this is um, right now, but um, you know, for week one, um, DraftKings salaries typically come out like mid to late August, like I, that first week one salaries, just cause there's a ton of buzz about it. We'll probably hope to get at least our initial Sims up shortly behind that. And then we can start talking. Um, I will say avoiding dupes NFL showdown, a lot of the same principles that I actually just talked about for baseball, pretty similar. Right. A lot of times what I like to do is I let SaberSim handle the game scripts and I let SaberSim handle the optimal lineups. Right. I'm not opinionated about who's in a given lineup. I'm opinionated about what lineup set I take with me. So same rules apply. Right. Uh, maybe you've got a game with a 10 and a half point spread with a 44 point total. Right. What do people think is going to happen in that game? They think the favorite's going to dominate the game. They think it's going to be low scoring. So. How can we flip that on its head? Well, maybe give me lineups that are overweight towards the dog and lineups that imply a high scoring game for one reason or another, right? Maybe I fade the kickers and defenses. Maybe I play both quarterbacks, something like that, right? The range of outcomes of a game is far wider than the public will ever believe that it is. Another example, right? Uh, three, two and a half point spread, 56 point total, right? Well, let me just X out every balance built right? Let me remove every balance built. Let me play five, one stacks, either direction every time and just play that the game blows out. And maybe in addition to that, maybe I do something else like, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe fade one of the quarterbacks or, uh, maybe get a little exposure to kickers and defenses in that case or something like that. So, um, that's kind of the way I think about it. We'll talk about this in more detail once we actually have some slates to work with, but, um, that is the way I, I basically do all of my showdowns is like, how can I take advantage of the public thinking that the average outcome is going to happen way more than it does? Um, so, uh, Jared said, when multi-entering for FanDuel quarters and nickels, if you like more than one stack type, will you run both stacks and randomize it or put one stack in one contest or the, uh, one stack and the other. Um, so I actually don't really think about it like that. So like what I would do is like, I, I kind of think about what, what stacks am I comfortable with as a whole? Right. So like, let's just say, for example, that you were, you know, okay. So let's say you're, let's say you're playing 300 unique lineups, right. On FanDuel. So you're going to build 300, right. Um, I would probably just like, adjust my stack exposures until they were all stack types that I was happy with, but then just fill them like uniquely and probably randomly into those two contests. I, I wouldn't, I would, there, there wouldn't be any reason from my perspective to say like, I'm playing all my four fours in the nickel and all my four threes in the quarter or something like that. Right. Um, I would just say like, build your lineups, build your lineup portfolio, figure out what stacks types you want and adjust your stack exposures until you're happy with them, but then just use, they just fill that build accordingly into, um, into your lineups. And, and like, I definitely like more than one stack type, most slates, right? Like typically, typically I'm, I'm pretty comfortable playing a, a, I would say a relatively wide range of different stack types on a 13 game slate. Like tonight, for example, uh, FanDuel is actually an interesting example. Um, FanDuel is actually interesting because there's less viable stack types, period, since you can't five stack. So on a 13-game slate like tonight, I actually might be a little bit more limited on what stack types I want, right? I, I will probably 
play mostly four fours and four threes tonight. So maybe not actually the best example. Um, but again, it's not as if I'm going to put all of the four threes into one contest or all of the four fours into one contest. I'll, I'll just let them kind of fill as they do. So just to be clear, I want to make sure I demo this before I move on. So what I would do here is I'd look at my stack types and I'd say, okay, like what, what stacking constructions do I actually want to get to tonight? Right. And typically the way I do that is actually process of elimination. So I might eliminate three twos and I might eliminate fours and right. It's a big slate. I think it's enough to take down a contest to just kind of get the, get the two teams. Right. Um, and sometimes I'll leave, I'll, sometimes I, I'm not like too opinionated about this. Like maybe this is good, at least a four, two in every lineup. So I might do something like that. I actually think I probably would. Right. If, if Saberson thinks that a four, two stack for one reason or another is viable tonight, then I, I, maybe I'm a little bit more willing to play four, two stacks. Um, the reason why I think it probably is, is giving a little bit more, a lot of times on a 13 game slate, right. Correlation up at like eight. Um, a lot of times you'll get mostly four, fours and four threes on a big slate like this. But tonight we do have this interesting slate, um, where there's not really a lot of good hitting spots or like, actually there's, let me put it a different way. There's a lot of good hitting spots. There's not a lot of like elite hitting spots, right? Yankees are five, one. And then we have, um, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams that are all projected over four or five or higher, right? There's just like a lot of good hitting stacks. So I think Sabersim has kind of responded to that by being like, hey, like obviously we want to correlate. It's a big slate. We need correlation anyway. Like let's build some correlated lineups, but maybe four twos are a little bit more viable than normal um, just because there's so many different places to get to get good hitting value, right? Like these lineups look great. I would, I would totally play these, so. Um, Patrick says, if you want to, uh, play the 25 cent, play the quarter jukebox payouts better. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's a better contest for, for that money. Um, than, than the winner take all is to start. So, uh, winner take all is already great. $20 for $2,000 and a major tourney, 20,000, $20 for $5,000. Yeah. It'll be super high variance, right? Like, cause you, you either, you either, you win or you lose, right? I mean, you'd have to win that, uh, one out of every hundred times on, for like a typical tournament. Right. So like once, actually, I guess maybe is I don't know, maybe there's something there. If you won that once a year, um, you would be, uh, you would actually be pretty profitable playing that, but it'd be quite a sweat because you would not win back any of your entry fees until you win. So it would just be like, donate $20, donate $20, donate $20 every single week until you take it down. Um, that's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have the stomach for that. That's pretty high variance, especially for those major weeks. Um, S Wolf says at the end of the day, you're trying to squeeze out the most points for dollar at each, each position, regardless of ownership slash contest. Am I wrong in that thinking? Uh, I would say yes, kind of, I mean, point, I think point per dollar starts to imply averages, right? Like when people say trying to maximize point per dollar, I think what that typically means in practice is optimizing for average performance which isn't what we want to do in to beat tournaments for a couple of reasons. But the, the main one is that it, an average performance doesn't win anybody any money, right? Like if you, if you come into any traditional optimizer for DFS and build the optimal, that lineup is roughly around the 50th percentile, right? The average performance of that lineup. Well, if you actually got that outcome, you wouldn't win anything, at least not in tournaments, right? That wouldn't actually be good for you. So optimizing for that outcome doesn't make any sense. When we start talking, and then when we start talking about optimizing for upside outcomes, other elements 
So let me actually be clear here. When we start talking about optimizing for expected value for the most profitable lineups possible, other elements start to come into play as well, right? So another element that comes into play, for example, is ownership, right? In reality, when you enter a contest, a baseball contest, a GPP, for example, the prize pool of that contest is not such that it says score 200 points and you win this much money, right? There are contests like that in the lobby, but that's not what most GPPs are. GPPs are beat every other lineup in the contest and you win this much money, which means relative value. There's relative value of different fantasy points. A player that scores five fantasy points at 1% ownership is more valuable than a player that scores five fantasy points at 50% ownership because the fewer lineups that get those fantasy points, right? The better those fantasy points are, right? So ownership becomes important. You can't just purely optimize for them. You can't just purely maximize point per salary because you have to think about how those points are distributed amongst the other lineups in the contest. Another element that comes into play when you start thinking about actual like upside is correlation, right? In reality, uh, it is not as if uh, Aaron Judge and uh, Giancarlo Stanton and DJ Mayhew's performance and particularly their upside are all completely independent events from each other. We know that when Aaron Judge has a ceiling outcome, it makes his other hitters on the same team more likely to build to to have prof, um, sorry to have upside outcomes as well, right? So you it is in your favor suddenly then to correlate your lineup potentially and actually even probably at the expense of point per dollar optimization. Right. That's actually a really important point here is that accounting for things like ownership and correlation uh, and things like that actually often come at the expense of average point per dollar outcome. Right. You are increasing your expected value at the expense of average performance. So assuming you were talking about GPPs here, um, I would I would pretty strongly disagree with your stance here uh, and say that, no, your goal is not to squeeze out most point per dollar at each position. Your goal is to build the highest expected value lineups possible which means were you to play out this slate 10,000 times, what lineups deliver the most return on investment for the cost of the entry fee? Um, which is, I think, you, probably very much not the best point per dollar lineups possible. So, um, but... Uh, Francis, uh, says, can you explain again how changing a team total affects the Sims? Yeah, sure. Um, so let's say, let's take a stand. Um, let's take a stand on the giants. For some reason, they are my, they're my team tonight. We've been talking about giants, right? So we're taking a big stand, right? Giants 5.0 runs. Uh, what we do is we will basically look through our simulations that we have for this game and adjust the the basically the sims uh until the average team total or until the average run totals for the giants are 5.0 runs and the dodgers are 4.4 runs right essentially we'll probably trim off some of the very low scoring outcomes for the giants uh until their point per dollar outcome becomes Five, or point now I'm saying point per dollar until their run total becomes 5.0 runs, right? And then what we do is we go through and then look at what, what are the fantasy points scored? What are the new averages scored by players in that subset of simulations? And then we set those players' projections to their averages in that subset. So now um, 
you know, Brandon Belt goes from having an average projection of 9.06 across all simulations to having a 10.81 average projection in this subset of sims. Um, that's essentially how it works. The benefit of this, I think the primary benefit of this is this has like a, this has a correlated change, right? So it simplifies things for you. You don't have to figure out, you know, maybe you're, you're bullish on the giants overall. You don't have to figure out, you know, how much to adjust every individual hitter relative to their batting order position and so on. You also don't need to figure out how that necessarily impacts, uh, the Dodgers, um, or most importantly, the Dodgers pitcher, uh, Tyler Anderson, right. Who it, um, obviously affects, um, but who maybe isn't, oh, there he is, right? Who that obviously affects and like needs to, should probably be adjusted accordingly. Um, so that's a really nice, I, I I really, really, if you are in the habit of adjusting player projections and taking stands like this uh, in a sport like baseball or any, any highly correlated sports, I would really, really recommend exploring adjusting the team totals because I think it's just a really powerful tool. Um, a very important note, and this is somewhat, this is kind of nuanced, but this is important because it it, it comes up often here. Um, the Sims are basically a subset of the Sims are selected to set these projections to these values, right? So we basically leverage the Sims themselves to figure out like what would Brandon Belt's projection be if the run total for the Giants was 5.0 runs. It would be this. However, when we actually build your lineups. We are looking at the full sim output, right? We are we are still looking at the full sims there. We are just in this case using these projections as if they were custom projections that you had set yourself. It's kind of an important point. Uh, if you if I lost you, I would say don't worry about it uh, because on a practical level it doesn't really impact. But um, I have sometimes this comes up, um, and I will get a follow up question from people, um, especially those that are very in tune with how the sim precision slider works and things like that. Um, so uh, the, the 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 it's a good thing basically. Um, the reason why it's a good thing is because we are not basically um, you could create potentially. Um, a sampling bias or a sampling issue uh, if it worked a different way. So it doesn't. But anyway, um, Jimmy said, uh, I'll jump off the NFL question for a second. Uh, reviewing last season, it felt like a lot of QB1 slash wide receiver one um, or two slash opposite wide receiver one. Thoughts on game stacks? Um, yes. I mean, so yes, I I definitely like game stacks. Um, those are, I think those are good lineup constructions. I also think they are popular lineup constructions. So you do end up in a situation where they are likely to perform well. Um, they are like, you are likely to see those lineups often in the top 1% because they are often made. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, the reason why is because there's, there's correlation between all those players, right? So if we look at Mahomes, right, who are playing the Cowboys in this particular week, right, you can kind of basically see the correlation that exists that creates that stack, right? So you have the Mahomes uh, to Tyreek Hill and Kelsey stack, who are both heavily correlated uh, with the CD Lamb one uh, run back because there's also a correlation there as well, right? So um, yes, I, I think in general, um, I, I'm a fan of game stacks. I think you will find that SaberSim will build you game stacks um, somewhat naturally, uh, right? Not in every lineup necessarily, um, but often. Um, or at least in accordance, at least balancing that correlation with everything else going on there. Um, so yeah. Um, 
And we can talk a little bit more about correlation in NFL. I think correlations in NFL, like there's there's a lot of things that are very interesting about NFL correlation. I I think it's it's underappreciated sometimes uh, how how unique some of these correlations can be. Um, one thing that's very interesting here, and like part of the reason why, um, like. So we just talked about Mahomes, right? Who was correlated to Hill and Kelsey and to CeeDee Lamb, right? And then if we look at Tyreek Hill, he is, of course, he has like the same correlation to Mahomes as the other way around, right? Correlations are the same both ways. Uh, He is correlated to CeeDee Lamb, right? Kind of makes sense there as well, the shootout game script. Uh, But he is negatively correlated uh, to Travis Kelsey, at least slightly, right? Um, And you get to this interesting, correlations can be somewhat interesting in in football. And I think sometimes these, these same team um, pass catcher negative correlations can be underappreciated or at least not talked about enough because it's, it's a rare case where you clearly, and like you, everybody is okay with having these obvious negative correlations in your lineup. And um, you know, if you, Maybe you maybe you chop the 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 head off of the whole thing and then you don't play Mahomes and then all of a sudden you're asking is it okay to play Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey together and I think most people would say well no they're negatively correlated but then if we go down this route a little bit they are both positively correlated to CD Lamb so are playing both of these guys together with the CD Lamb on the other side does that suddenly with no Mahomes in the lineup at all maybe the other part of the lineup is totally uncorrelated right is that okay right like there's some interesting conversations that start to come up when you think about NFL correlations here. Um, so we'll get into that more. Uh, again, I, I think I know it's weird that we don't have the team total showing up here. I'll I'll check on that to, to make sure that that's not going to be a problem for us as we get closer to the start of the season. Um, but you should be able to just come back here if you want to like mess around a little bit and run some practice builds. Um, all the projections and everything should still be live. All the simulations should still be. So if you want to come and like see, like hey, especially you know if you're if you're somewhat new to SaberSim and uh, maybe weren't with us for last football season, uh, come in here, mess around, and start running some builds and see what the constructions look like and um, have some fun with it. So uh, Neil said. Uh, Okay, in response to the question earlier, I might start firing away some NFL stuff soon if you're cool with it. Don't want to take away from the MLB strategy or everyone else. No, it's totally fine. Around this time uh, every year, we start talking at least a little bit of football. Um, and around uh, – somebody somebody will come knocking on my door around mid-October to start asking about basketball uh, and then around the middle of March uh, for upcoming baseball. So it's all good. I know there's a lot of NFL excitement, so um, totally fine starting to talk about this stuff. But Jimmy said, uh, do you think the most important edge that successful slash pro players have is how to get different with their lineups? Like you just mentioned in the show, the showdown example. Um, it's hard for me to say. I think there's a lot of different people, a lot of different players that um, have different skill sets and find their edge in different ways. Um, I, a lot of it's like contest type too. I think I, I actually, if I, if I could put this in a somewhat general way, I would say that I think what what the best players do is not consistently one thing, but I would say they consist they can identify and articulate their edge very clearly. They can build lineups that very specifically exploit their edge and probably most importantly, they know what contests they should enter to target and and exploit that edge the best, right? Like there are there are um DFS pros, I guess, or, or elite DFS pros that um, are very skilled at exploiting smaller fields, right? They might have an, a, a very uh, 
strong understanding of how ownership condenses um, in small fields and actually even taken one step further, how maybe even specific other DFS players build their lineups consistently. And maybe they crush, you know, 30 entrant or smaller high stakes contests consistently because they know how to exploit this edge, right? Um, or I think you're going to have other pros that are very skilled at portfolio optimization, um, managing a 150 lineup portfolio in a way that consistently maximizes profit while minimizing the risk. And they enter primarily large field uh, GPPs where you're able to exploit that the most um, or, or a wide variety of different things. Um, but I think, um, you know, and, and we don't even need to take it that direction. I know, um, you know, maybe there is a particular, you know, there's a, there's the game tape grinders out there as well, right? Um, like, uh, maybe you have somebody who is extremely plugged into the news cycle, um, and the, uh, game, uh, tendencies or, um, uh, rotations or things like that. And in a world where virtually at least every somewhat serious DFS player is probably using a set of projections that is was built by somebody else and relies on a lot of similar inputs. If you have an opportunity to understand, hey, every other projection model is missing this thing, you have a huge edge, right? You have a massive edge, but that takes a lot of skill to do, right? That's not something that everybody can do, right? So there's another edge and then figuring out how to use that, apply it and specifically exploit that, um, I think is also a, a, a skill as well, so. But if I could try to articulate, I have, I feel like this is also a big sport to sport difference here, right? Like NBA late swap is clearly crucial and having a viable and, and sound late swap process is, is an edge and it's important. And in core and in baseball, right? Like building correlated lineups is, is huge, right? And there's a lot of the field that doesn't know that yet and, or isn't doing that correctly, right? Like accounting for correlation is important too, but those are somewhat, I think, table stakes to um, being successful in those sports. If I could try to articulate like what I feel like my edge is in a way that is as best as I can, somewhat sport agnostic, right? Um, I, I feel like most of the time, the edge that I feel like I try to exploit is taking the the inputs that are somewhat publicly available right like the the if you could describe it as the projections and the ownership for a slate obviously very heavily relying on the saber sim simulations to help me do this but using that information and coming up to with a better answer of what is an optimal lineup construction or or exposure to a particular player given those inputs than the field right like I don't typically pr pretend to act like I have an information edge over the field. I don't on a baseball slate like tonight, right? It's not as if I've been watching baseball all year back down to spring training and I have an understanding of, you know, information that the field does not have about what pitcher to roster tonight. But I feel like my process does a very good job of saying based on this and based on this and based on these for every pitcher on the slate that I can come to a answer of how much exposure should I have 
to each pitcher and maybe even better for any given lineup, what pitcher should, that's actually the better way to say it for any given lineup that is otherwise already made apart from the pitchers. What are the best two pitchers to play in that lineup? Like that's, that's kind of how I think about my lineups. That's not obviously how I end up building them, but that's kind of how I would articulate my edge. Um, is that like using that information that may be available to many other people coming up with a better answer of what the right way to apply that is. Um, that's why I run research builds for like every single sport, because that's like the ground zero of where I start with that. So, but that's probably a good thought experiment, especially for a sport that you would say, hey, I'm good at this sport. Try to articulate your edge to yourself. Try to prove to yourself that you are good at that sport in words. Explain what you are doing that maybe some portion of the field or enough of the field isn't doing. Or maybe you have maybe you have a series of micro edges, right? I think that's fair too. Maybe you are good at a wide variety of things uh, that kind of add up to, hey, like I'm, I do this. This is why my process works. Um, but I think it's a good thought experiment of like, can you articulate, can you explain to somebody else um, what your edge is. And if anybody is listening along here and you're like, what did Jordan just say? Tell me, because I should be able to explain uh, what what my edge is. And I think I can, but uh, maybe I lost some people out there. So um, Shady said, the winner take alls are good elevators. You just need to scale back the entry fee due to the structure. I think it's a good point. I would agree with that. Um, and I think, again, uh, I think probably my favorite application of those contests in your portfolio would be if you are basically already playing all of the other good contests under the experienced range, the $3, $5 range, uh, and you want more action down at that price point, I think that'd be a good way to do it. So Jimmy said, have you ever thought about bringing SaberSim DFS Pro for a live Q&A? If you haven't already, how they got started, a decision to go pro uh, could be interesting or informative. We haven't done like an interview, I would say, in that format, but I've had a lot of different people from the SaberSim team on um, talking. Like Matt's been on a bunch. Um, Will's been on a bunch, Matt and Danny or Max and Danny, I'm sorry, um, have been on a bunch. Um, we've even have different members from the community on, right? So Dan Kingfish NATO, uh, came on and talked to NASCAR with me. Um, we had Mr. Clean, uh, and DFS couch come on and talk hockey, uh, last year. So we, we've had a lot of different people on here. Um, we definitely stick a little bit closer to the DFS strategy kind of thing than like the, um, pro interviews, uh, at least for now. Um, but it is an interesting idea. I will just shout out, uh, season one just wrapped. Um, but Neil Orfield's high stakes podcast, um, that's hosted over at stochastic. I love that podcast. I, I listen to every episode this season. He has 20 episodes out. Every single one of them is basically exactly what it, you're describing. And I think you'd probably love it if you haven't already listened to it. Um, so I think, I think he did a really good job with that. And I found it so interesting and like, uh, goes back to the question of like, do you think different, like, what are the different edges that DFS, um, pros have a lot of, a lot of those guys kind of dive into that and talk. I mean, you know, a lot of them are not necessarily willing to give up the secret sauce. Um, but I would say that, you know, most of them are somewhat open to at least articulate what they believe their edges or what is the, what is the thing that makes them unique? compared to others that they do particularly well. Um, highly recommend. So, um, And then sure enough, uh, we are at the end of the hour here and also at the same time through all of our questions in the queue. Uh, that one ripped by. 
I had a lot of fun with this uh, stream here today. Um, great questions today. Very exciting to have a real full baseball slate back in front of us here. Uh, just also very exciting to, to be a Friday afternoon here heading into the weekend. So I appreciate everybody uh, that uh, hung out with me and, and chatted and asked questions or even just listened along here. Um, and a big thank you and uh, appreciation to everybody that watches and listens to the show as it goes live as a recording on uh, all the podcast outlets and YouTube and things like that. Uh, if you stumbled upon this here for the first time today and you aren't already signed up with SaberSim, uh, you can get signed up on our site, sabersim.com. We have a totally free seven-day trial. Um, so uh, the only completely free seven-day trial in the DFS industry. Um, somewhat surprising to me that that is the case, but it is the case. Uh, and I always recommend uh, getting signed up for those trials at the end of the week because you get the opportunity uh, to play some pretty cool weekly unique contests over the weekend. I know we got an MMA card that a lot of people are excited with us uh, excited about here coming up this weekend. Uh, another NASCAR race. Um, there is uh, the uh, Formula One races back this weekend as well uh, in France, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we have Formula One Sims as well. Along with that baseball um, League of Legends, which is basically a daily sport at this point as well. Um, all kinds of other, I guess it's really, really heavily baseball when we're talking about the daily sports right now, but uh, you get access to all the different sports. So definitely get signed up if you haven't already taken advantage of your free trial. Um, with that, uh, enjoy the return of at least large slates for baseball tonight. I know we had the three game slate yesterday, but it feels like the return tonight. Um, so enjoy it. Good luck to everybody out there. Have a good weekend. I will be right back here again for another episode of Office Hours on Monday at two o'clock Eastern. Uh, until then, take care, good luck, and I will see you later.